Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm Chris Lee. I'm normally your host, but today I'm not. Today I'll be on the guest line by special request. We had some listeners ask if I would be a guest on the podcast and answer a lot of questions and reflect on some things. So we did that, and I chose George Plaster, my good friend, to host the podcast today. This was originally taped on January 13th. There's a couple of basketball games that have been played since then. Oddly enough, we talked about the deteriorating environment at Memorial Gym, which actually has been better the last couple of games. So if you want to have a laugh at me for some critical comments I made about Memorial Gym, go ahead. That's the fun of the podcast. Anyway, I appear on the guest line that is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items. That includes a display case for my prize Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work, and he's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a shout or a text at 615-830-9458. Okay, as you guys know, I've run the website now for 20 years and done the podcast for, I think this is our eighth year now. And when you do something that long, when you cover a school for that long, you get to know a lot of people really well. For instance, my intro, which I never plan on changing, is Steve Willard, who used to be the PA guy for football and longer than that for baseball. Steve and I got to be good friends. Uh, He's a good guy. I really love his work. And so as part of a tribute to Steve, he's going to be my intro for probably as long as I do this. Well, you get to know the people in media relations pretty well, too. And I've known Alan George for years. Alan left Vanderbilt this week. And I wanted to dedicate this episode to Alan in his departure. So, Alan, if you're listening, uh, thanks for your friendship. Thanks for the good years together. And this one's for you, buddy. Hope you guys enjoy this special edition of the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm George Plaster, and apparently today I'm the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. Now, I don't know if this is like a Sports Illustrated apocalypse or what it is, but maybe I need to bring Chris Lee in here to explain What's going on? Am I supposed to say happy anniversary to you? Uh, whatever you want to say. Um, I just want to say it's not every day that I get asked to be a guest on the Vandy Sports Podcast. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Now, let, let's be serious for just a second. <laughs> 20 years that you've been doing this right about now? Yeah, 20 years on the first week of January. I don't remember. For some reason, I'm thinking January the 6th. Boy, wouldn't that be appropriate, was the day that we did our first article. But yeah, it's been it's been two full decades now, and it's it's crazy. I don't know if you'd asked me 20 years ago, would you still be doing this? And if you'd said, you'll have a podcast, of course, I would have been like, what's a podcast? But it is crazy to look back on where it started and, and what it's become. On a scale of one to 10, how much fun's it been? <laughs> depends on what day you ask. <laughs> the way I phrase that, 
The last three years, it's been about a minus 20. You know, but there were some good times. Baseball was always fun. The good years of Kevin Stallings were fun. Watching Bobby Johnson get to a bowl was fun. Even James Franklin, you know, I had issues with the way James ran the program and a lot of things, but it was neat to cover teams that finished in the top 25. And I think more than anything, and this is what I keep coming back to, it's the friendships and the relationships that I made with people on the site, with people that worked at the school, and people like you, George, because honestly, if if I never start the site, the odds are I don't know you. We've become really good friends. And, and frankly, even in the last three years, as crummy as that's been, that's one of the main reasons I've gotten to be close to you. You you are, in all sincerity, one of my best friends. There's probably not a week where we don't talk. And there's been times over the last three years where there's a day, there's hardly been a day that we didn't talk about something. And only God knows how your life's going to go and where your path is going to go. And you can't really control that. You can just wake up every day and uh, to use a cliche, put one foot in front of the other and just do what's in front of you to do. And and maybe I go back and say, man, if I knew everything that was going to be involved, would I have done it again? I don't know that I would have. But at the same time, I would have missed out on a lot of good stuff, uh, you know, sports things and otherwise. And so maybe God knew what he was doing when he put this in my path. I don't know. That's something I struggle with is for all the time I put into it, and I said this on another show, another episode of these that we did, I, I put over 10,000 hours into Vandy Sports between the podcast and the site. I don't know what that number is, but I know it's north of that. And I think of all the things that I could have done with that time and probably a lot of things that would have been uh, more profitable for sure and, and certainly some things that would have felt like they were more useful, but for whatever reason, God puts you puts things in front of you and directs your path. And there were a lot of times that I probably, all things considered, would have walked away from it. But for whatever reason, I didn't. So I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for. It's just been a, a long and strange time, but there's also been a lot of good that's come of it. Oh, I think I know exactly where your answer is coming from, Chris. It's hard. This is not an easy school. You know, if you're looking for an overwhelming number of wins, this may not be the school you need to hang your hat on. Recently, it's been, I don't know, about six weeks ago, the, uh, the 1988 Sweet 16 team, uh, Will Purdue, Barry Goheen, Booker, Scott Droud, that group, they got honored uh, at halftime of the pit game. And the night before, even though I wasn't their announcer in 88, I was actually at at Memphis State. We came very close to playing Vandy in the NCAA tournament. We were one win away from a matchup I'm not sure I'd have been very comfortable with. But, you know, those guys, that's a friendship group that I can thank Vanderbilt for. Uh, Those are some of the best friends I have in the world before it got incredibly silly the night before the game. Scott Droud, after we ordered food, said, before we go anywhere, I want to say to George how good his eulogy was of C.M. Newton. And everybody kind of raised their glass. I got choked up 
And to me, that's what I take that is the good, the relationships with certain friends, not necessarily the wins and the losses and some of the strategies that either have worked or haven't worked. So I, I feel like I know exactly where your answer is coming from. Yeah, and that's the thing is doing this, you get to know a lot of people. I've made a lot of friends with alums, with former players, with people who coached and worked there. And Vanderbilt has this reputation of being uppity and all those sorts of things. And you and I have been around there. You went to school there. You know that with every criticism, there's some truth to that. And of course there is. But my interactions with people that played there, that went there, were generally not that way. And I think that was something that I really liked and appreciated it is as someone said to me once, there's just a lot of really smart people that went to Vanderbilt that are just cool and, and neat people and don't maybe think more of themselves than they should. And sometimes when you sit down and eat dinner with people that are a lot more accomplished than you are, it can be awkward. And But I never felt like that was something that came from the other side of the table, right? You're sitting there going, well... You know, I I don't I can't even believe I'm getting a sliver of of this person's time or an email from that person. But I think that's the thing that I really liked about Vanderbilt was there are a lot of alums and players and people like that that were down to earth, and you felt like you're serving those people with coverage in a time where a lot of people haven't been doing it. I mean, when we first started doing this, and it's also been that way for some other things. I'd go to a practice and. I'd be the only guy there at a fall camp practice or a multitude of baseball games before Tim's thing blew up and we'd be the only guys there. And, and Tim and I would just talk for a long time off the record after games. And while it does, it sometimes seem like maybe it was a big waste of time. I also know that if we hadn't been there doing those things that it would have just fallen in a vacuum and I know that people appreciated that when we were there to offer it and still do at times when nobody else does and that's when you feel like maybe this has got a purpose and the appreciation that people give you for those things I guess are the things that made it worth still doing at times and and when it got really tough certainly those were the things that kept you going I'm going to go with some personalities here and you give me some thoughts. You ready? You bet. I find Corbin to be incredibly interesting. About the time I think I know where a conversation's going over dinner, it doesn't get anywhere near that. What about you? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about Tim is I've had a lot of private sit-downs with him. And in recent years, as I've gotten busier and he's gotten busier, we haven't had as much time for small talk, but we would at times go grab something to eat. He'd take a lunch break and I'd meet him at a sports bar around the corner. Uh, you know, a lot of times it was getting in preparation for the city, for the season, but a lot of times before we ever said a word, you'd sit down with him and he'd just pick your brain and ask you about your life or you know, ask you about something like sometimes he'd want to know your opinion on something, which was kind of fascinating. 
because I'm thinking you know a lot more about this than I do. You're like, but that's coach. You're way smarter. Why are you asking me? Right. And, but that's what yeah. makes him who he is, right? He's always looking for somebody else's perspective or maybe something he hasn't thought of. And I just contrast that with some other guys I've covered where it wasn't quite like that. I think that's what made me appreciate that and the fact that you're a human being. I said this in another podcast that, that you probably haven't heard, but I did it last week. And the first time I went to interview him, I met him in McGugan's parking lot. I'd never met him. All he knew was he had an interview with this guy and I step out of the car and somehow he knows it's me and he, he knows it's my name. I, I don't know how that happened, but that's just kind of Tim Corbin in a nutshell. I think that's the reason people like and respect him so much is you're not just an object that's there covering his program. Some coaches treat the media like that. You and I both dealt with several coaches I know that are like that. He cared about who you are and who you were and how your kids are doing and, and would ask you questions about your life. It's a lot of what makes him who he is and why he's had the success he is he has because of that element. And that's just not something you really commonly find in really high-level coaches. Do you think he's got one more run left to a national title? I wonder sometimes about the conditions in college baseball and how things have changed and the way that he builds his roster and trying to get guys with continuity and guys that that might sit the bench for three years, but maybe as a senior you get a chance to play or as a, a junior if you've bided your time and done all the things. And that's always worked for him, right? It's always been the, you know, you, you sit and be a good teammate. Maybe you play day one. Maybe you, you don't play till it's almost over. But I'll give you a fair shot. And now with the portal, and you got some programs that just treat players. And look, I, I guess it's this way in all sports, right? No, no coach is going to keep a kid on a team who can't play. And no coach is going to let a first-round pick ride on the bench either. So there's shades gray here. But he's built his program around that thing and the culture. And now you got schools in the league in some places that these, these kids are just commodities. And you can bide your time for a couple of years and whatever promises were probably made go out the window if there's a kid in the portal that's 10% better than you are. I don't know if that works in his favor long-term is – that burns itself out at other places or if he has to change his approach or anything like that. I just know it is a very different culture from the one that he's been in, which a lot of that includes all those things I, I mentioned, but it also includes kind of a tampering free environment, which is not the case. Now it used to be if a kid was committed to your program, he was off limits. If other, if he decided to change his mind and go somewhere else, the protocol would be for the kid to call the coach he was committed to and say, hey, I'm, I'm decommitting, and then other coaches can call him. That was kind of a gentleman's agreement in the league, if not in college baseball. All that stuff's out the window now. So having said that, that's the probably the biggest question I have is can he get this all back at the level that he did before because the conditions are different? But I know this, I would never count the guy out. He's smart. He works hard. He has come back from crushing defeats and crippling events like the Donnie Everett tragedy and 
his program ended up being better than ever after those things. It wasn't immediately. Uh, so I don't know if the step they took back last year is indicative of, of more of that to come or it's just a blip. But I know this, historically, if you've bet against him not to succeed in the end, you you generally lost that bet. So let's go back 20 years ago. Uh, January of 2003, let's say. Kevin Stallings was in the process of saving his job. And the truth of it is, Kevin and I had not known each other at all. Well, we'd known each other at that point about six months. And nobody nobody gave him a chance to save his job. And Matt Freegey and that group kind of came out of nowhere, made a, a sweet 16 run. And I'll admit, for me, it was really fun to watch a friend uh, you know, pull one out of left field to save his job. I had a different relationship with him than just about anybody media wise, um, which you and I've talked about a bunch on this podcast. What, what was, what were your dealings like with him? Yeah. Sorry for that, that break there. I went to, to pull a media guide in case we, we dive back into that season. I started covering you Kevin. Mean in case I ask you about uh, like uh, Commodore Vanderbilt in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> well, no, but I mean that that season. I think they got off to a a ten or twelve and zero start. They sure uh, did. They beat Michigan, which was yeah. And I think Semper. did they beat Indiana too? I don't remember. I remember I was doing a um, a state title football game, and I called him after they beat Michigan. They'd beat Michigan about an hour earlier, and I said something like, you're on your way. You got a chance. Take it and run with it. They did beat Indiana. I just looked it up. That was the second game, and I remember vaguely well, remember being yeah. in the gym for that one. Um, yeah, my relationship with Kevin was not what yours was, to say the least. I remember... I went to Kevin when I started doing this. I was probably still a little wide-eyed at the time in, in Kevin's defense, and I just introduced myself, said I grew up going to a lot of games in this gym. It's I'm going to enjoy being able to cover you guys. And he just looked at me and just said, oh, okay. And that was the extent of our relationship. I think I said this on another podcast. I, that he never used my name. 15 years of dealing with him, and I don't, I don't really understand that. Other yeah. than obviously that was his way of probably putting me in my place. And I think that was a shame. Now, look, we, we had a lot of criticisms of Kevin early on, and I think that probably shaped it too. Just as we were getting to cover him, he had the feud with Mario Moore, and I'm sure you heard your own versions of the blow-by-blow blow of that, and that was ugly. Yeah. Um, that was an R-rated movie, to say the least the way that whole thing went down and you I kind of got both sides of it but it didn't really leave me in a place where I had a lot of respect for Kevin fairly or unfairly and I think probably when you feel that way about a coach maybe it comes through to some degree and I, I did try to be fair to Kevin I, and to be fair to Kevin I think Kevin was a better coach than I gave him credit for being even up until probably a couple years after he left, because you look at how badly that thing went downhill. And to be fair to Kevin, too, 
there were a lot of stories of people that really loved him and respected him. I'm talking about him like he's dead. Um, that's obviously not the case. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, point I'm making is, and your interactions with Kevin were a lot different than mine. And there were a lot of good stories about Kevin. I think Kevin had a father who was really tough on him. Uh, the story was related to me, and you may know this one better than I do. I think he had had a rough practice or something in high school. His coach had benched him. Uh, maybe he felt it was unfair or something. I don't know all the circumstances. It's been years since I heard this. And, and his dad just said to him, well, you better figure out where you screwed up and make it right. You know, I, I don't know if that's my kid. Maybe I handle it a little differently. Maybe I'm doing injustice to that story. But if it went something like that, we all kind of replicate what we grew up with. And maybe that explains a lot about Kevin. Um, I wish I'd known him better and had a better relationship with him. I, I do think there were a lot of good things about Kevin. There were also, was also very much a dark side to him, as you well know. Uh, but that was just one of those things that in hindsight, you wish that he would have done himself some favors. And at times you would just sit and watch him and go, man, if you would just do this a little differently or mm -hmm. that a little differently, or there'd be times where he would crack a joke at a press conference or, or to somebody in the medium, like, man, if you just let people see that side of you a little bit more and share that a little bit more, I think people's opinions of you would be a lot different. That's just not how the way he went about his business for whatever reason. Um, I wish for Kevin that he'd done it differently, but yeah, that it just always felt like the way that he approached his job and us, it just made it really difficult to have any type of a relationship. And I don't know, maybe if he had a chance to do it over again, he would and do it differently. But I regret for Kevin that there were some things that he didn't handle differently. Yeah. I wish I had known him better in the first four years of his Vandy life. You know, we talked through a lot of this kind of stuff uh, in private. We had a we had a we had a, a drive the first time he and I really ever met. Gosh, I can't think of the player now. Um, Portland, Tennessee, the the NBA. Corey Brewer. Corey Brewer. We went up to see Corey Brewer, and on the way back, this is toward the end of an eleven and eighteen year. And in the car, he says, well, I've heard from everybody else what I haven't done right. Let's hear from you. And we spent yeah. the next hour going through a lot of it. And as, as I got to know him better, because there definitely was a place where he would put you on trial. And I don't mean that, you know, like for yeah. murder or anything like that, but he would sort of put you in a little box and, and sort of say, okay, I'm going to give a little time and see if, if this person is okay. And somewhere I beat the rap and we became really good friends in, in that whole process. And I used to tell him because th there were a couple of times where he and I met for lunch and there would be other friends of mine there. There was a night where uh, I got a bunch, I got probably 15 former Vanderbilt basketball players that I was really close with to a suite at a sounds game. And Kevin took over and was absolutely hilarious. Everybody yeah. loved him. And I called him the next day and I said, do you do not 
tell me you didn't have fun. I said, you had more fun than anybody and you didn't even want to come. And, you know, we'd go back and forth on that kind of stuff. But I'll also tell you this, and this is the part that has shocked other people, Chris, and you, you've heard this from me. He was as much of a help to me as maybe I was to him during a rough period where I was getting sued, all that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, the guy had a street smarts about him that was pretty amazing. Okay. Well, and the the other thing I want to interrupt you for a minute. Yeah. The other thing that I I have this impression about him, and you would know this better than I would. And it, I think it sort of got in the way of his basketball success. The word was for a few years, right around the time that they ended that little string with Taylor and Jenkins and all those guys, Wisconsin beats and they have a couple of rough years. It was not really hard to see that coming because the word for a couple years was it. Kevin was at a lot of his son's baseball tournaments and not out there on the road meeting kids. And I had mixed feelings about that because it felt like his evals slipped. It felt like he was getting kids that weren't the type of kids that maybe did well for Vanderbilt or for him. And certainly their play slipped. But as a dad, I also have respect for Kevin for being there for Jacob, and of course, it's been a great story to see. I don't know Jacob at all, but he's turned into a major league catcher. And a lot of coaches, they don't have a lot of – there's so much work to be done. That's one of the issues in coaching right now is that these guys don't have any time for their family. Right. And it's burning the good ones out. And when the good people burn out, who does it leave you with a lot of times? It leaves you with something else. And I felt like Kevin – I was kind of critical of him for for them letting their recruiting slip, but at the same time, I, I had some respect for him for being there for his son. And and now as a guy who has a son who didn't at the time, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe Kevin should have stepped aside and just been been a dad for a while. I, I don't know what the right solution was there, but um, I, I do have a lot of respect for Kevin for that because I do think that. He was always there for his kids, and I think there's a lot of coaches that maybe you can't say that about. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Chris, people assumed that all these phone conversations that we had were about Vandy basketball. It's just not true. I would say more than 50% of our phone calls were, you think Jacob can make the major leagues? God, we beat that around so many different ways. 
And it was so cool on a Sunday morning, I was in church and I looked down and I saw the phone call and I thought I knew what it was. And I went out during sort of a recess in our service and called him and said, is this what I think it is? And he said, Jacob will start tonight at Wrigley field. It was father's day. And he said, both Lisa and I will be there. And you know, that was one of the coolest moments to get to share with him. And then I picked up a phone about five minutes before that game started at Wrigley. Like I said, it was father's day. And, and I just said to him, I said, stop and smell these roses. I said, this is the greatest father's day gift you will ever get. Don't ever let this moment be forgotten. Well, that had to be an emotional moment for him. He did let his guard down at times. I mean, you saw it after they beat Kentucky in New Orleans to win the, the title, all the all the criticism, whatever was going through his head. They had a moment where they beat one of the greatest teams I've ever seen in college basketball. In fact, I don't yeah. know that you've had a team as good as that one since that title team that Kentucky had in, what was it, 2011. That was a real accomplishment. I guess it sort of got. It got put on the I'm back gonna, because of the well, loss. It, it did. And a lot of people still have arguments about how that game got called down the finish line. But if you just look at that in terms of what they did, and I mean, Kentucky had fits within this that year because I think that Kentucky beat them twice. But as I recall, I feel like both games were close or close for a while. Maybe it was just a good matchup for them. I don't know what the reason was, but not a lot of teams were able to play Kentucky the way that his did. And I have, I have a feeling that that moment when they did that, that had to be one of the highlights of his career and, and deservedly so. On this 20th anniversary of Chris Lee with the Vandy Sports Podcast, he apparently was... I don't know, in a weak moment, decided he wanted to be interviewed and called me. I bet he doesn't think that now. Chris, let's get to a couple of football people. I sure. bet I didn't know Bobby Johnson as well as you did, but I just have one phrase about him, and you fill, you take it from there. Bobby Johnson was just a good man. He was. I knew his assistants better than I'd. I knew him. I think at times he got irritated with me for asking some questions he probably didn't want to answer. And he press got very irritated with me early. But yeah, that, that and Bobby him. Bobby was just that way. But I I know he had respect for me, uh, and I had a lot of respect for him. There, there are people that you cover that you just kind of sit there and going, "Oh man, I cannot wait till this is over." I don't know what I don't know who or what's around the corner next, but it's got to be easier than this. And with Bobby. And Clark Lee's a lot the same way. You kind of feel like, although Clark, I think, is is a lot less prickly than Bobby was. But point being, you felt like you were covering a, a pretty decent human being. And again, that that's not a quality that you always see in sports. I really had a lot of respect for Bobby. Maybe in hindsight, the best thing for Bobby would be to have stepped away after that Music City Bowl because I think people would have remembered him differently. And look, Bobby took his time in getting there. I don't think that the recruiting was strategically great. I do think they did a good job of developing players 
and managing whatever their weaknesses were to keep games close. It felt like when Bobby had it rolling, they didn't get blown out a lot of games. But a, a guy that I like and respect to this day, and um, man, he was he was just wickedly funny on top of stuff too. I mean, he could really bring some one-liners just out out of the very air. Very dry just, sense of humor. Yes, and and I liked it. I thought he was a funny guy and and a very good and decent man. Just give me a quick yes or no on this. Did you ever see Kevin Ingram do him in front of him? No, I didn't, but I bet it would have been great. Oh, I know it was. It, it was because he would do it. He would do that on their morning show. And, yeah. you know, there were there were three or four people. He was doing Bobby Johnson. He was doing Woody Woodenhofer. He was doing Shashevsky. Jeff Fisher and me became, you know, a, a staple of Kevin's stuff. Um, I would like to have seen, though, Kevin break out into Bobby in front of Bobby and see the reaction. I really would have enjoyed that. And I so, think Bobby would have enjoyed it as much as anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So then James Franklin followed him. And, you know, early on, and, and this comes up later in your mailbag, why did Bobby Johnson leave when he did? Are you of the same belief that I am that he got tired of waiting on stadium improvements that were promised that were not delivered? I mean, yes and no. Ultimately, Penn State call. That's a much bigger and better job. It probably No, fit. I'm talking about Bobby. Oh, Bobby. Um, um no, I think that and I'll just I'll just beat you to the question that's coming later. The thing that I always heard is that the Rajon Bennett tragedy had a lot to do with that. He had been through one of those with Quane Doster. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I remember being at Doster's funeral. That was just heartbreaking. Or the the memorial service that they right. had in the in the chapel on campus. That was that was hard to watch. Um, although it was, it was very well done. I had heard that that was kind of the last straw. Uh, you know, he'd been through the Marcus Dixon thing a few years before that. That was different. But I think when you were touched by tragedy like that, and Bobby did love those players, I believe. Yeah, and I'd always heard that was kind of the thing that he just, for lack of a better word, couldn't get past. I'm, I'm sure there was other stuff too. But I think the explanation that I've always heard it was that was sort of the the straw that broke the camel's back. So can I tell one little bitty James Franklin story? Oh, of course. First time we ever meet, it's about a month after he's gotten the job. We've had, I would say, a really interesting first segment of an interview. And we're going to the break, and I'm not sure he's real sure what to think about me. And all of a sudden, Willie opens up a media guide and says to him, says, uh, Coach, are you aware you're going to Clemson in year number two? And he had no Oh, idea. my goodness. He grabbed, he grabbed that media guide and his dogs were barking. Uh, Do you like that? I think Chris lost. Yeah, that. yeah. There, there was a pause because I had to to let the barking dog out of yeah. the office. He takes a look at that media guide and he stares. Oh, so at you him. broke the news to him that they had a game at Clemson? Yeah, and and he's <laughs> like, "We're not playing there." 
No, and, and they weren't playing at Ohio State either. Right. So later that night, he calls me. He goes, I've checked out your credentials. You're legit. Tell me what I need to know. <laughs> and that was, was your relationship with him like that? You know, it's funny that you said that. Dog's I having more I, fun than we are. He he is. I'm, I'm trying to remember if it was James or somebody else. I think it was James. I was doing a magazine story on him for something outside my site. It was James. Now that I think about it, th- this tells you how James is to a T. I mean, the, the details are sort of coming back as I go through it. But I remember I did a a story on him and it was kind of, it was a puff piece. That's what the magazine wanted. Okay, fine. And there was like an unusual amount of like, I think I got to talk to his high school coach, his college coach, something like that. I, I it's the details are hazy now, but there was a lot of, of checking out and, and stuff like that. And, and I'm just like, what, what, what is this about? And I, I think that told you, probably a lot about him in a number of ways, but James and I were never really comfortable around each other. Uh, James was one of those guys that everything seemed transactional. And then he had to feel that you were on his side or else he didn't have a lot of use for you. That's not the way the profession works. You, you're here to, to tell a story. And, and if, you know, if you think I've been unfair, then fine, let me know. But that's the thing. It's just kind of a pet peeve about, this field, especially about this beat, you know how much, how strained my relationship has been with Vanderbilt at times. But the thing I've always said is, look, if you, if you don't like the story, lay out the script for another one. And that's what I'll write. I mean, if you're being fair in your job, you're just writing what's in front of you. I think there's a lot of, a lot of coaches that are very thin skinned about stuff and don't understand the business that we're in reporters can be unfair. I'm, I'm sure I wrote things that at times or said things that were unfair, but we all do. You do this long enough and that happens, but just the way that he was so protective about everything and, and suspicious, just, I don't know. I'm, I'm not very comfortable yeah. around people like that. Well, where, where it's different for you is that you were covering it every day. Kevin yeah. and I used to laugh that we would hate each other. For instance, if if I covered him every day the way you did, I would have gotten on his last nerve, and I'm pretty sure it would have been the same way with Franklin. Franklin gave me a shirt, and the next time he saw me, I wasn't wearing the shirt, and he sent me a really smart aleck text about how the shirt I was wearing that I looked like an usher. It was one of those green <laughs> polos. And so I couldn't come up with any, uh, with a good line. And all of a sudden at the end of the next inning was during the NCAA baseball tournament. He stands up and he's shaking hands and kissing babies. And I was like, I got him. So I texted him. I said, sit down. This is not an election year. And he looks over at me <laughs> and gives me, you know, thumbs up. Like that was a pretty good comeback. Yeah. And, and so I never had to deal with it the way you did on a daily basis. And there's a difference. There's a big difference. 
there he is. And there were things like there, there were times that I really enjoyed the show that, that he put on and the sense of humor and the fun that he brought to it. That was a fun part to cover. There were times he made me laugh. I remember one time in a practice, this is one of the better Franklin stories I've got. They've got two fields. They've got the turf field and they've got the, the side field with the grass and there's always stuff going on on both fields. And usually the, the grass field a lot of times is where the scout team's working out or something. I don't remember what was going on, but I don't know if he wasn't happy with something the quarterbacks were doing or he just got the itch to play. And so he picks up the ball. And, of course, he'd been a college quarterback. And I'm sure I'm going to get some of this wrong because it's been a long time. But I just look up and there's James running seven-on-sevens, and he's the quarterback. And – um Somebody picks him, and he's running it back the other way. And you you think that James would you know, maybe maybe James James is going on a full on sprint. Oh, I would love and to. basically <laughs> clocks the guy at the end of the play. And I we're just I'm just sitting up there just cackling. I wish James. Man, how do I say this? There there were a lot of things to like about James. I wish the the integrity part was a little bit more solid than it was because that's the part that made everything very uncomfortable. Are you referring mostly to the players that committed here and ended up with him up there? I mean, all of it. How he handled the media, how he expected you to carry his water how if you didn't do that you you felt like he would take it out on you in subversive ways yeah that that part too i didn't like the way he handled his departure maybe it's just how business goes these days but it feels like you know what's it been 10 years ago now or whatever it or, or nine years it felt like that was a little more taboo those days i mean i remember hearing that while he was still under contract at Vanderbilt, he was still basically representing himself as the coach at Penn State and recruiting. And maybe that's just what you have to do. But it didn't feel like the right thing for the program that he was getting paid for at the time. And I, I really don't think it is the right thing. If you're still getting paid by one school, uh, in my mind, recruiting for another one is not ethical. Uh, maybe coaches see it differently. But I didn't like that. He could have handled that much differently. He kind of led the school on. Uh, I think he wanted to have this image of James is really, really struggling with this idea of leaving Vanderbilt. He wanted that tortured James Franklin image out there so that people, I guess, viewed him differently when he left. He just was so obsessed with image. I mean, I don't know how you how you realistically sell that while you're while you're still recruiting for Penn State while you're while you're Vanderbilt's coach, but. Those were just the things that I didn't appreciate about him. I thought he owed Vanderbilt better than he gave Vanderbilt. Um, And and I know he had some legitimate beefs with Vanderbilt. I probably would side with him a lot of things now that I probably wouldn't have at the time, now that I know a lot better how it works over there. But I just didn't think that the school that gave him a chance deserved the way that he went out the door. Are you as surprised as I am that Bryce Drew's deal cratered the way it did? Yeah, 
Although I go back and I look at how it started on the floor. I remember they just got clocked by Marquette their first game. I remember going to a game at MTSU where I don't know what the score was. They might have just gotten beat by 12 or 14. It was ugly. But it was ugly. They were never in the game. And I think he made some tweaks to his offense that he kind of had to make, and he kind of figured it out from there. But Bryce was in the middle of this thing where he was convinced that he could sign – well, this is hyperbole – a dozen McDonald's All-Americans. And so everybody on your current roster who isn't one of those guys needs to be gone. I think that sort of wrecked his second year here. He was so hyper-focused on clearing room for for kids that could play at a higher level. And, And maybe his team wasn't great, but I think if you go to practice and you put in the time and the off season, you deserve better than just to be ushered out the door. I think that backfired on Bryce. Maybe if if that second year goes a little better uh, and Owen 18 goes down a little differently, but at that point that had been two bad years in a row. I you know, always kind of sidestepping your question, but I always really liked Bryce. I wanted him to do well. He was always really good to me. I felt Bryce was a genuinely good guy. I think people's experiences with him probably varied. Bryce was kind of a shy and awkward guy, and and maybe that that's a good description was, of it. By the yeah, way, yeah, I and mean, it was it was odd. It may, maybe it was just the fact that I knew him and and we had a comfort level. Maybe my relationship with him was different. I was a little surprised to hear later uh, that that maybe other people didn't have it the same way. There were probably some signs at the very beginning that that it, it might go badly. I don't think it. I didn't ever think it would go as badly as 0-18. But you go back and look, and I always said it was a defensible hire because you looked at what he did at Valpo. His dad had been a coach. Maybe Vanderbilt did do enough digging or or asking the right questions. Maybe there were landmines there that could have been seen that weren't, or, or maybe it just was bad luck. But I always look at track record, and I feel like if you win at a really high level, and Bryce did, they didn't go to the NCAA tournament much, but it felt like they were like, you know, 26 and eight in, in their league every year. And it, it's not an awful league. I thought that would have carried more over in, into what he did at Vandy, but it, it just didn't. And, and when it went spiraling downward the way it did, he just had no idea how to fix it. Do you think when he walked in the day he got fired, do you think he knew it was coming? I don't know, because he came with the the plan of stuff to fix that he never got a chance to fix. Right. So I don't know if that was wishful thinking or he honestly thought, hey, I've recruited well enough and I'm on the radar of enough guys that I'm going to get that benefit of the doubt. I could see Bryce being naive enough to think that. I honestly don't know the answer to that. I have to think in his heart of hearts, he couldn't have been completely shocked that that happened. And to to be fair, I also heard not long after that, there was some talk that the Stackhouse thing had been in the works, set, set in motion for a lot longer than people would have thought. I don't know if that was just Malcolm Turner bashing or what that was, uh, but but that was out there at the time too. 
let's talk a little bit about David Williams because I'm really, I'll be very curious where you're going. I'm conflicted. I thought he and I had a pretty good relationship when Gordon Gee was here. The minute Gordon Gee left, our relationship soured considerably. I know he did a lot of good things. I just never saw any of them. Yeah. You know, Luke Wyatt would have a much more nuanced take on that. He might have said it on the podcast before. Sometimes I can't remember what Luke has said to me on mic and what's been just in our conversations. But Luke always said that the minute that he walked out the door, David became a different person. I think he ran the athletic department in a completely different fashion. I think it became much more about other things to David than it did sports and winning. Uh, That's an observation that a lot of people have made. I think that when David was there, I don't know that he's ever the AD you wanted, but it seemed to work to some degree with Gordon Gee there, even though they did some goofy stuff like the restructuring. I go back and look at that now and I'm like, no, they should have just run the place like a normal AD, but Vandy does those things. I didn't have a lot good to say about David after Zeppos took over. And I don't know that Zeppos and and David liked each other, which probably didn't help David in in a lot of things. But I was not real impressed with the way David left the job. In his last few years, the work he he did, or, or maybe better said, didn't do. Maybe that's unfair. I'm sure David had a lot of difficult things, and and particularly when you don't get along with the chancellor. But I just thought his last four or five years on that job, whether it was his fault or whether it was somebody else's, I thought he did the school a big disservice by remaining in that chair and and not really doing, in the minds of a lot of people, uh, the job that an AD should have been doing. At his funeral service, Candace Lee delivered one of the best eulogies I have ever heard. And I, I didn't really know her. I called her. I, I was at Belmont at the time, and I called her a couple of days later to just say, look, I've done one of these recently. Hardest thing in the world. It was C.M. Newton. And, you know, as I listened to her, I remember thinking, Chris, what, what have I missed here? Because it was an incredible service, and there clearly were some great things he did. I just never, I never saw any of it. Well, I want to back up a little bit. The first answer I gave you is is probably a harder one than I meant on the whole. Mike Rapp and I had some good time with David. Mike was my photographer that used to write with us at the site. Mike and David were pretty close for a while. And Mike left the site in, oh, I guess late 2014. And and that's when things were starting probably to change for David. And David could be very candid, very engaging, a very nice person. Luke Wise told me the same thing, that David away from Vanderbilt could be really nice and very relatable, but sometimes just for whatever reason, being on the job and being in that chair, he came across a lot differently. And I think a lot of people thought David, how do I say this? 
Well, I'll just say it. The, the, word, the word bully got thrown around at times with him. I don't know if that's fair or not. But something, something happened with him between the time Gordon was here and, and things were going well in the end. And I don't know if that just was David under stress or what it was, but there was also a feeling on campus that that AD got roped off pretty well. And David had sort of walked around with an air of invincibility in his last few years. And I know that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. You've talked a pretty good amount about Clark, although not for what we're doing right now. Give me, give me a few thoughts there before we go to a couple of just general Vandy questions. I like Clark a lot. I feel like Clark's got a lot of Tim Corbin in him. Although Clark is, you know, in terms of the intensity scale, at least just sitting there talking with him face to face, you know, that's probably a couple notches down. He's a little bit more easygoing than Tim. And I don't mean that to sound the wrong way. Tim, Tim is very relatable. Tim's also got a a phenomenal sense of humor. Uh, That's one thing about him. Uh, that, that I probably should have hit earlier. Clark's just easy to deal with. He's easy to talk to. I can't remember if I've said this on my show or not. And and probably, I don't know that he, I, I don't think he did this to be retold, but I think sometimes maybe it's good for people to know what makes a person tick. Um, you know, and I think most people listening to this show know that I had a a, a pretty serious health thing. I, I found out very suddenly I had a a defective heart valve this spring, and from the point I found out, I don't want to waste a lot of time in getting it fixed. I just didn't want to sit here. First of all, I want to feel better, and second of all, I didn't want to spend my whole summer <laughs> staring down open heart surgery and. Thinking well, about that before I went to bed every night. Times. We we did. It's just you know, let's rip the bandaid off and get it over. Go out to lunch at one of my favorite spots, and I'm just sitting there by myself eating lunch. The day before the surgery, and the phone rings, and I, I don't recognize the number, and I usually don't pick up under those circumstances. But for some reason, something told me to pick up the phone, and I did. And it was Clark just saying, "Hey, man, you're." You're in my thoughts and prayers, and I just wanted to to check on you before you go into into your surgery tomorrow. Yeah, well, um, a, a lot of coaches don't do stuff like that. You still got to cover a coach fairly. If, if Clark screws something up, then it's it's my job to to call him out on it. But I think when you have a coach where you see that side of somebody. It certainly makes your relationship and and the ease in covering it certainly a lot less awkward than it than it is with some people. You want to go mailbag, or you got more you want to get into? You you can go where you want to go. This is your podcast, really. Or you can go straight in the mailbag, and and sometimes in the mailbag that that spawns other questions. Oh, but I'm, it sure does. I'm I'm good with wherever you'd like to go. Let's see if I can say this right. Today's mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk. 
a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one have been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. You ready? Bring them on. What would Vanderbilt basketball look like today if Darius Garland hadn't gotten hurt? How different would it be? I think that team, my guess is it would have been a bubble NCAA team, probably gotten in. Darius was hands down the best basketball player I covered. You know, one thing did bug me. I remember watching that opening game, and it was kind of a, it was almost like an NBA All Star game. That's a little much. I did worry that they weren't going to play a lot of defense. But man, he was so good, George. What he had a maybe a 35 point game against a pretty decent Liberty team. You know, and that team also did beat Arizona State. And I think Arizona State went to the NCAA tournament. That year, that was without Garland. I mean, I, I think that team would have gone to postseason of some sort. Maybe it was the NIT. I, I think it would have been the NC. I think Darius would have been that good. Uh, I don't know if they would have figured out the defensive end or not, but they might have scored enough points where it wouldn't have mattered. But, yeah, I mean, it, I think Darius Garland doesn't get hurt. Certainly, I, I certainly have to think Bryce Drew is the coach the next year. I don't, I don't see how they would have won so few games that – that getting rid of him at that point would have been tenable. Next up on this list, how long do you think it will take for the fans to return to Memorial Gym, assuming that the program gets turned around? Or do you think the fans are gone forever? That's the million-dollar question because the school's going to have to get a lot more interested in building the fan base. It's going to have to slash ticket prices. It's going to have to get on the phone and work and call former ticket holders. Uh, and look, some of them may not be in physical shape to come anymore. That fan base is getting old. I would like to see what it looks like. I mean, I, I think it's probably going to require a coaching change uh, unless Jerry, Jerry Stackhouse wins a lot of games. Uh, the attendance has been very telling. He's not very popular with the fan base. Uh, you've got to get a coach in here who people can relate to and are excited about. you got to get a better product. But the school's also got to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of ticketing and, and building back the fan base that I haven't seen it doing. Uh, so that, that's a lot of variables. I don't know how much is left at the end of it, but I can't believe it's dropped to the level it has. I think you and I spent a lot of time in that gym. And if you'd said in the year 2023, uh, they're barely putting 4,000 fans in, in the gym for an SEC opener, that would have been hard to believe, uh, you know, even a decade ago. Next up, where do you see the future of Vandy sports? How much of the success of the site is predicated on the success of Vanderbilt Athletics? You've mentioned several times how close you came to folding the site. Why did you keep at it? That's a lot. Well, I think I kept at it sometimes because there wasn't a, a readily better option. Uh, and, and maybe I should have taken some of the time that I put into generating content and and been out there getting resumes out there, but you know, you, you do what you do and you, you move on. Goodness. That, that's a complicated question. It's there's part of your job that, that is taking care of, of you and your family. And increasingly 
that's gotten harder for me to do without doing more of other things. At the same time, you're taking sponsors' money, you're taking subscribers' money, and they expect a you know something for that in return as well. They should. That's just gotten so much harder to balance over the years. Uh, when I spent my time in surgery, and I've been thinking about it anyway. Like what? What happens if a bus hits me? What, does the site go on? Does somebody pick it up and can and I take it over on part of that? Sure. If the bus hits you, you don't win. No. If the bus hits me, I do, I've got bigger problems than Vandy Sports. You got, you um, got big problems. Don't let a bus hit you. I don't want to just let this thing fold, right? And I'm not. I'm not saying I'm going anywhere anytime soon because I'm not planning on it. But I've got a, a really good young intern in Joey Dwyer who's doing a great job of covering basketball for me. That's allowed me to do some other things. I've got the Southeastern 14 venture, which has done really well. And it's been a lot of fun. That's allowed me to spend some time there that hopefully that thing gets up and and really going to an even larger degree. And I mean, look, when I, when I go to pay for my kids to go to college and braces, which I'm paying for right now, it's probably not the revenues from covering Vandy. They're going to do that. So it's been a big balancing act. The bottom line, I mean, one day, like if, if we have a, a 40 year anniversary and I'm still doing this in the role, we got a, we got a real problem probably either that, or it got like way better than, than they you might want to look for the bus. Ima- yeah. Yeah. I'm, I probably will be looking for the bus at that point. But point is like everything has its time and Everything has an end date. There's always going to be a last podcast or a last article I write. My goal is to, at some point, pass that off to to somebody or somebody's else in, in a way that it's gradual. I mean, I if you said 10 years from now, you're still doing the podcast and so maybe a little bit of writing here. Yeah, that, that'd be great. Uh, maybe, maybe that'll be great. But you can't. You've got to realize your own limits and you can't do everything forever. The the question I have is the money end. When you put 10,000 hours into something and it's still not enough on a day-to-day basis, that's a proposition that in good conscience sort of becomes uh, tough to pass on to somebody else without a heavy dose of reality. I don't know that anybody else would be willing to do what we did to get here. And again, I don't know that's the smartest thing that I've ever done. It certainly isn't. It'd be great to think I get a chance to maybe mentor this and and hand it off to somebody else. But I say this in all sincerity, we, we got as far as we did with partnerships that sponsors that subscribers. And I look back, we did an amazing amount with the resources we've had and, you know, look, if, if I do get hit by a bus tonight and, and it is somebody else's tomorrow, the thing that I would tell people is you better support it because if you don't, th- there's just not much coverage left in this market. Uh, this is the first time I think this year was maybe the first time that I don't think I got a single call from local radio during the football season. I haven't gotten any in basketball season. They just seem to be such a dead entity. When you go to practices or, or a press conference is a better way to say it. You're, you're the only one in the media there. 
that tells you a lot about where Vanderbilt's place is in the landscape. And and frankly, and I'm not knocking the Tennessee in here, when they don't send a writer, you know, even a freelancer for a game, that that to me was like, wow. It's gotten to the point that you probably did the calculus in your head and said, whatever gripes we get about this, maybe it's worth it not to spend the money. I don't know if that's the calculus they did, but it's a hard venture to do, and it's not getting any easier. And I'll just say this. If somebody's willing to get out there and put out Vandy content, and if fans are still interested, support is is key because it's really the only thing that keeps something alive. The next question on here is, do you think Jerry Stackhouse will be fired? My suspicion is if he doesn't probably win more games than I think he's going to the rest of the season. I I look at the stands. I hear the way the fans talk about him. I wonder if he's already done enough to where it's almost impossible for him to get it back. I mean, certainly he's got a mathematical chance to win uh, enough games to do it, but you got Alabama twice, Tennessee one more time, Kentucky twice, whatever that turns out to be. You know, and, and frankly, they are, I think right now, they're one in seven against the first two quads. That doesn't suggest a dramatic turnaround enough to, to win enough. Because I think if he's below 500, you tell me if I'm wrong. I think if they finish below 500, that's a really tough sell to the fan base for a guy that fans aren't really excited about and, and do the math on whatever it takes at this point. I don't always, always start doing the math in my head of this seems to me like what it would take for a coach to get fired. And, and when the, the, the number of wins becomes greater than the, the number that you think is probably going to happen. Uh, that's, that's when you get to a point that it feels like it's going to be a change unless the other things in the air, like, Hey, they got a, a top 10 recruiting class or coach is really likable or whatever help balance that out. I don't think he's got any of those intangibles or other things in his back pocket. So to me, this feels like a situation where they're headed for a coaching change, but uh, you know, Vanderbilt's a different animal sometimes. And so you just never know, but I, I suspect that's what's going to happen. And I think I probably feel a little stronger that way because I, I do think they have a chance or that that is probably well, not probably. I think he's very serious about winning. So where does the, the, the extension made no sense? And I'm not as close to it uh, as you are, but I grew up in the shadows of that gym. And it's appalling what has yeah. gone on there. Now, it's not 100% his fault, but he hasn't done one thing to make that any better and doesn't seem to care. No, and it's sad to me to watch it. You and I spent a lot of time in that gym where it was... People use the word unbelievable too much because think about what that really is. It really was unbelievable. You wouldn't believe now if I told you what it used to be like. And, And I get... Like, I don't get offended. It's not my program. But when I hear people talk about, oh, well... We had X amount of people for an NIT game and it was rocking. And you're like, yeah, well, I saw 
6,000 empty seats. That just doesn't do it for me, given what I've seen that building be. I, I don't care how excited you get about a game like that when you've just got thousands of empty seats and go, going to that gym, George, it's it's like the best way I can explain it. It's like you run into a girl that was the homecoming queen and, and every guy in the school had a, a crush on and, and she's put on 50 pounds and, and stopped wearing makeup. That's what going in that gym feels like to me anymore. Yeah. Does Chris Lee think Stackhouse, if given enough time, could get the basketball program where we want it to be? How many years would that be? I'm talking being in the running for a league title. If Chris were the AD, what changes or advice would he give Stackhouse, perhaps as a condition of continuing as the head coach? He's got to recruit better. I I don't feel like that's likely. I, I feel like his evaluations have not been good. I, I still have questions about the time he puts in. And if you're not putting in the time, you're not going to pick up on stuff that other coaches are. I don't know if that's fair or not. But I I just don't see a path to – the kind of winning that is contained in the question. Now, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like if he stayed here ten more years, that he couldn't get to an NCAA tournament or two. You know, but because some years it just it all falls not not falls in your lap. That'd be probably doing a disservice. Some years you've got the right bunch and you've developed a couple of guys, and somebody sticks around for another year that you didn't think. I think if he were another decade, yeah, they'd, they'd probably go to a tournament or two. I, I don't see anything in his history so far that suggests he is going to markedly change things with his evaluation and recruiting skills. People got really excited about this class that's here. It really hasn't been all that. The class next year is not supposed to be any better. I think unless you are willing to make a judgment about his future that's not contained in what he's already done, it's hard for me to see it working. Have you had enough? I'll take another one or two if you've got them. Are you going to ever write a tell-all book? No, I don't have any desire to do that. Okay. Uh, funniest interaction with a coach or a player? Iowa State was playing here a few years ago. It was Bryce Drew's year, and they were in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. And yeah. um, I just come out of the meal room where they give you Chick-fil-A and I've got a cookie. Iowa State guys are sitting in the hall waiting for the queue to go uh, out on the floor. One of the, the players asked me if he could have my cookie, and I'm very protective about my sweets. And I just blurted out no, which was kind of a, a silly thing to do because it was, I'm sure, meant and fun. I should have offered him the cookie and just seen what he did. Uh, you know, do players eat sweets 
right before they take the floor. Uh, that that was just kind of like a funny thing that caught me off guard. I always kind of laugh about that. I was like, why was I so serious about guarding a cookie? Man, I have. I can't think of a lot of specifics. But, um, you know, I had, had a lot of good conversations with Robbie Caldwell, Charlie Fisher. I'll tell you a kind of funny story. And this happened about a month or two ago. I'm taking a walk around my neighborhood. I usually do that once or twice a day. And I look up and there's Tony Kemp. He used to live in this neighborhood. He was visiting his mom. So, you know, it's not often you you just look up and, you know, there's a major leaguer on your, your walk. But that was kind of fun. I got to catch up with Tony and he sent my kid a couple autograph cards and, and that kind of thing. But um, that, that was kind of neat. You just walk around yeah. the, the block and, hey, there's there's Tony Kemp. So that was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm sure there's other stories here that I'm not thinking of. You know, a, a lot of good moments with Tim, some some funny conversations off mic at times, um, most of which I've probably forgotten. But n- nothing nothing as memorable as you maybe would think I would have after 20 years. You want to end with a good CM story? Let's go for it. It's the summer of 1987. I have just come back from Memphis from my interview and I need, I need money and they need a coach for the CM Newton basketball camp for the little, the little guys. They're like one short and they call me and they're like, will you do this? And, uh, and so I end up coaching these little six and seven year olds and I don't guess they ever ran it by Coach Newton. He walks in the gym the second day and he takes a look over at me and just rolls his eyes, puts his hand over his head. And, and he comes over and he goes, I weep for this camp. And I said, <laughs> weep for it all you want. I said, it's got your name on it. How many of those kids ended up getting uh, getting scholarships under your tutelage? You had to be there. The way we <laughs> ran it, the one kid that could play would get the ball, and the other four would go to the corner, and I would have them yell and scream. It was my one-four clear out. It was hilarious. I loved it. Well, to to be fair, I'm I'm getting texts from my my kids and I. My wife, uh, they're they're waiting on pizza. They'd like to have for a me meal. to go with. Yes, I, yeah. I think they are. Your timing on ending this is pretty good because apparently my my family's on the same wavelength. Before you let me go here, I think that's how this works. Thank you for your friendship. You've been a really good friend. You have helped me through a lot of times on this beat of, of how to cover something or say something or not say something. You're one of the few people that could actually understand what I'm dealing with at times and not look at me like I've got a third head because you've been there and, and <laughs> done all those things before uh, to, to where I, I call up and say, here's the, the crazy situation I'm dealing with now. You know, <laughs> you just sort of accept that it is what it is rather than, than quiz me on, are you telling me the truth? I think you know what I'm getting at here. Oh, listen, and the friendship's been a two way street. You've been a terrific friend. You've even taught me what a podcast was. Yeah, who knew? We have broken ground that is shocking. 
We, we have. And I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, I, I started the podcast with, I think you asked me, you know, rewinding the history, would you do it all again? Or at least that's where we went. And, um, you know, I said, that's the path God put before me. And I think the same thing happened with you coming into my life at a time where covering the beat got tougher than it usually was. And I think without being able to call you and sound off on some things and just ask your advice, I'm I'm pretty sure, not not that it went well, but I, I'm pretty sure it would have gone much worse, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have slept well at night. You were the perfect guy to give me some advice on some things I was dealing with, and I, I will never forget that, and thank you so much. Oh, listen, Chris, you're welcome. Friendship's a two-way street. You've been a terrific friend. Um, just save me a cookie. Don't pull an Iowa State on me. <laughs> Next time I'll share the cookie. See you later. All right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrisley70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.